The Fed hiked 25 basis points. You knew that because we told you this about a month ago. Gold went down. No, it didn't. We told you that about a month ago. We're going to talk uranium. We're going to talk lithium recycling, battery technologies. We're going to talk about DC doing what DC does best, baby, other than being corrupt, which is lose money. This time on sports gambling. We're going to ask Nick how Hunter Biden is like vaccine efficacy rates. A lot to get to as always. I am Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 162 of our therapy session, otherwise known as Bizarro World. How are you, Nick? You want to buy a gold mine, said the movie chain company. Um only if I can provide them my expertise in uh, providing liquidity and fleecing retail investors through share offerings, then sure, let's do it. I feel like I'm still in the metaverse. <laughs> um, that was a great episode last week. You know, uh, there's a lot of crazy shit going on. It's a bizarre world. And um, whether it was uh, talking about uranium in the face of the war or talking about the shutdown of the, the nickel trading on the LME. I think that uh, podcast resonated with people. It's been one of the most viewed so far and um, things aren't any less crazy this week. So excited to talk about it. Let's get right into it. The Fed did what we said the Fed would do because the Fed told us a few weeks ago, it telegraphed what it was going to do to make sure that the markets reacted right in, in, in a positive fashion. And so the Fed hiked 25 basis points. Um, it was hilarious watching Bloomberg and CNBC be confused about why the markets rallied. There were six boxes on the television screen, right? And they each were playing who can be the most confused whack-a-mole on, <laughs> on, on the television screen with the boxes. And so it was like one of the most bizarre 30 minutes of mainstream media television as far as financial um, shows that I've seen in quite some time because nobody other than the guest, Peter Bookvar, who I, I, I follow on Twitter and, you know, we've spoken at uh, conferences together in New Orleans and, and he's, you know, he's, he's someone I think everybody should follow. But, you know, he was the only one that was able to kind of bring some sort of like practical rationale and logic as to why the market was reacting the way the market reacted. And so it was not a surprise on my end of anyway to see the market rally the way it did. It wasn't a surprise to me to see gold rally the way that it did. And I, I, I think it's following through very, very well. You mentioned last week's episode being one of the most viewed ones. It, it also should have been profitable for y'all if, if, if y'all would have taken some notes on the free advice that, that, that we were given last week. We told you the uranium dip was one that you should be buying. Big news in the uranium space today. We'll get to that. But um, your take on the Fed decision, a non-event, a positive event? Same with gold. We had told them that the low 1900s was sort of the new low end of the range and that it was going to um, bounce up from there. Um, his neck was sweating yesterday. I mean, it, it had to be, right? He had the ring around the collar when he got home. I mean, that's a tough position to be in. Um, knowing that growth is slowing, knowing that earnings growth are slowing, knowing that you're completely behind the eight ball on inflation and called it wrong for an entire year, um, knowing that inflation is several times your target rate and, um, and knowing that uh, what you're doing is uh, likely going to extend further harm on, on the recovery or any sort of economic growth. And maybe he, he doesn't know that, you know, I don't know, I'm not inside his head. Um, 
you know, maybe he he did think you know inflation was transitory. It's funny you mentioned the, uh, the, the talking heads and the, the people on TV. I mean, no, no wonder they were confused. They were the same people that had been saying for 12 or 18 months that inflation was a transitory. They were confused then, and of course they're confused now. So um, what comes next um, is the question, right? Uh, I was buying Should be. more gold. I think I to- told you via Slack message this week. Uh, in fact, right on the screws, and I got to pound my chest again, right? Because we were buying GLD at 177, and it was well above 180 until um, this week, and it went to 177 just for a couple of hours, and then right back up. And so um, really nailing the levels of gold, and, and, and I don't think that's done yet. Um, range bound, maybe, which we've talked about, but a range bound is fine if it's a $100 range, which we've also said. Um much higher gold price for the people that produce it and the people that have royalties on it. Go pull up charts of the gold royalty companies, mm. for example, and they're um, looking really good, and including one that you and I have video uh, out about. So uh, we can provide a link to that. And then um, earnings season is over. Um, earnings growth didn't uh, come in as well as it did in uh, late last year, late 2021. And so now we're looking forward to um, GDP numbers later this year and the next round of, of S&P earnings, which are going to be some ridiculously nasty um, mm. comps, right? Like uh, Not the good kind of nasty. Not no. Like, that was nasty. No. Ooh, like, like the nasty, nasty. If we had, I was writing today, so if we had rampant growth last year, we're going to have rancid growth this 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 year, right? Rancid. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, what was I doing? I, I, I sold some, some more mainstream stocks yesterday in my personal account. I sold IBM. I was selling things that um, don't jingle jangle, right? Because we had a nice bounce. Like you like you were saying, stocks went up. I wasn't buying that. Uh, hopefully the people on TV weren't buying that. That was something to <laughs> sell non-commodity equities into. Um, yes. And so that's what I did. And we, we've been doing that in the letter. And then uh, that's it. Um, long gold and, and gold stocks and uh, Commodities continue to look well, including copper. So we've been telling you that, and and that's not going away. And so um, uh, Elon had himself a hell of a week on Twitter. But uh, one of the things he said was, we should talk about it. Oh, no, that was funny. Um, <laughs> one of the things he said was that you should be investing in physical things. And I was like, that was one of my bang my head on the desk thing. Because if there's one thing I've been talking about for years, it's how there was a shift underway to things that are real and away from things that weren't real, right? Away from monetizing people as free users on tech stocks, for example, like Twitter and Facebook do. Um, and towards physical things, exactly what he said, things that come out of the ground, things that you need to build, hard assets. Um, and we're in the thick of that now. And so uh, that's what it is. If you haven't uh, allowed that to register in your brain yet, you better soon because um, S&P is down 10% for the year. Housing prices, we talked a bit off air, right? I just read an article this morning here um, in Williamson County, which is the county where I have two homes um, in. (laughs) The chief county appraiser is estimating, and then these will be out in the next couple of weeks here in Texas, but that housing prices in the county will appreciate an average of 50% year on year. 50%. And so for for people that have been sitting on cash, that have done it the traditional fashion, 
that have thought, you know, that that, you know, we just wait for rates to come back up or things to pull back and then they'll buy. You just missed a 50 percent move in a year. I think Washington State, where you're at, Nick, you just went through a 60% rise. Is that accurate? That's what the New York Times was writing about in an article a couple of weeks ago. The title of the article was, um, the next affordable city is already too expensive. And I believe they cited a 60% increase in in, in residential homes. Um, I was just in Bozeman the other week, as you know, and we talked about, and they were telling me, it was a real estate thing I was at, and they were telling me, the average price of home in downtown Bozeman is $800,000. Average. Yeah. Meaning mid. That's right. Right. I mean, and that's almost twice the nationwide average because I think nationwide average is like $360,000. So, I mean, uh, yeah, real estate prices going up um, for all sorts of reasons. Um, flight to low tax jurisdictions, you and I have talked about a lot before, and it's certainly benefiting Texas with corporations moving there. Um, and people fleeing the, the coast to get away from whatever it is, taxes, traffic, um, overpopulation, crime, um, just general fourth turning migration as uh, millennials approach that uh, window where you got four million of them turning like uh, 30 for the next four years. So I, I was just pulling up my thing here because I, I just got my, my tax assessment as well. And, you know, I, I don't think it says the percentage here. I was looking for it, but it's up significantly. Um, and so, uh, you know, we just bought a second house as well. And, and it's worth noting. Congrats. It's worth noting that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a rotation of assets, right? Like, um done well in the stock market for a decade, right? There's been a 10-year bull market in stocks. And yeah, I know real estate prices have been going up, but they don't have the inherent volatility that uh, equity markets do. Even big multi-billion dollar or trillion dollar stocks at this point move very much on on an annual basis. I was um, watching somebody from, I think it was Oak Tree Capital the other week, giving a presentation about how even the largest equities in the market have volatility throughout the year, like Google, he was saying, will fluctuate 50% in price. And so... um, Long answer, as always, uh, if you're coming out of that 10 year bull market and you have significant gains, significant capital, it makes sense to uh, rotate those, especially as millennials get a little bit older and don't want as much volatility into assets that are a little bit more stable. Right. So um, you got the investor class uh, in there trying to buy houses. You got the millennials in there trying to buy houses. And increasingly, you've got uh, the REITs and the, the, the private equity in there uh, trying to buy houses. Uh, in that presentation I gave the other week uh, and the research I was doing for it, I learned that at one point in 2021, like nearly 20% of the offers being put on houses were coming from companies, right? So um, that's one in five houses. And then, I mean, people need a place to live. So, um, and when you printed this much money and when you got a population, uh, 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 segment of the population millennials i'm talking about that's so big bigger than the the cohort before them right who aren't leaving their houses because they're leaving longer i mean what are you going to do so what, what were you going to say no that, that that's you perfect segue that was my point right if, if if you're looking for capital rotation sector rotation and where to allocate capital now there are still sectors that present compelling value um Sitting and waiting is not a strategy at this point. And we've been hammering this point home since since we started this podcast. We, 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 we talked in real time about your move to Washington State. We talked about the reasons why, you know, 
our family decided to move to Texas. Um, and, and, and we did this three years ago when we first started this podcast. And so, look, when I look at the uranium sector, when I look at the Department of en Energy today pledging to accelerate aid for current and future U.S. nuclear reactors with global uranium and enriched fuel supplies under threat, um, this isn't a new theme. It's not a coincidence that the uranium equities were up some 15, 20% across the board. We told you last week you should be buying the dip. It's not, I don't want to make the episode about I told you so. I want to make this episode about what can you do next if you already missed out on the 150% in real estate appreciation over the past four or five years? What can you do if you missed out on the stock market because it hasn't made sense for so long, yet it still keeps going up, right? What can you do if you're looking at all of this, you're on a, a, a limited budget, but you have some capital to allocate that you want to work for you as you get older so that you don't have to work as hard or work at all. Um, there's sectors that still present compelling value. The uranium space is one to look at, the lithium space. I know we're going to talk lithium and battery recycling and, and, and how that is, you know, it's going to play a minor role in the future, but it's not going to be consequential anytime soon. That's a mega trend. There's so many sectors that can still be profitable for people out there. Write a note, people. Uh, send us a note. Um, not that we know it all, not that we get all the calls right, but there's a reason why we've done relatively well in bull markets or bear markets, yeah. whether it's the gold space, the uranium space, through private placements, through our two companies, through our real estate holdings. I mean, no. again, not an episode of I Told You So, an episode of there is a method to some of the madness and then to, to, to some of the bizarro stuff that we talk about on here. Yeah, I mean, facts are facts. And sometimes you gotta expose your track record to convey um, whatever, your pathos, um, that you know what you're talking about. And so, um, like my retirement safe money is not down for the year. I was just looking today, like my, my IRA is up 3% for the year, for example. Um, and we talked last week about how many hedge funds were down 2% for the year. Um, and that's not uranium mm -hmm. and lithium and speculative equities. That's getting the fuck out of tech stocks six months ago, five months ago, um, going to a little bit of cash and then, um, uh, buying high quality <laughs> dividend stocks in, um, commodities and staples, right? I mean. I have a, a 16 stock portfolio that's, that's outperforming the entire market, right? And and it's not in a lot of things except for um, large cap mining producers and, and sector ETFs. So there's a way to do this profitably without trading, without taking on a lot of risk and um, without touching your portfolio all the time. I'm, I'm convinced and and this is where I'm going to try to, to make my mark in, in coming months and years is, you know, the, the replacement of, of financial advisors. Right. And if you haven't realized that on your own, I think you will <laughs> as, as you mature. Right. Like, you know, I'm old enough to remember looking at my parents' financial statements before I knew a lot and, and, and then wondering, like, why their account was going down. This is going you know back 10 years, probably on the tail end of the, of the great financial crisis. But, you know, wondering why they were paying TD a, a fee to lose their money. And the same as me, my experiment last year, I, I paid them 1% <laughs> of my assets to not match the S&P. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. I know that that's not a big thing. Like the S&P went up 27% and they delivered 25%. But when you're paying somebody a percentage of your assets, and you can just own one fund that tracks the S&P and you could have beat that financial advisor. There's an educational component that is 
hopefully starting to evolve here in the U.S. when it comes to uh, personal finance and, and investments, right? Um, they don't teach it in school, we all know. Um, no. we, have, we have to learn this uh, on our own. And um, unfortunately, for many people who don't learn it on their own or aren't in the industry or tangential industry related to investments where they can learn, right? Uh, teachers, doctors, people that actually help people, unlike me. <laughs> uh, you know, they don't have time to, um, not that I don't help people, I help people with their investments, but you know, I'm not out there suturing wounds and, 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 and healing people. Um, they don't have time to, to manage their investments, right? And those are the people who I, I am trying to help, right? Because uh, if yeah. you're out there 40, 50, 60 hours a week, whatever, teaching kids and triage in a hospital or whatever, you should be able to um, yeah. invest such that you at least uh, match the market without having to give somebody a percentage of your assets, right? Um, and we could talk about a lot of things, right? How that system is set up, how 401ks came to be, um, the regulatory regime that, you know, shuffles people into, you know, financial advisors and uh, managed funds with high expense ratios and how your financial advisor has beers with the guy who runs that fund, like all that sort of shit, right? Um, that's coming to an end. It's part of the it's part of the fraternity. It's part of what we see in the markets every day. The, the Fed governors having to resign because they're in insider trading on the the asset purchases that they know about. Crazy ass Nancy Pelosi. Did you see her this week? <laughs> Crazy ass Nancy Pelosi but, doing but she, all. But she, but she recited a poem by Bono today <laughs> on St. Patty. Happy St. Patty's Day, by the way, everybody. By the time you get this, it'll have passed. But to all my Irish friends out there, happy St. Patty's Day. Yeah, she came out and she recited a poem by Bono. So how can you not like, oh, chatty Nancy? Oh, and, and, and on the other side, you know, Kelly Loeffler, because I like to give it to both sides, right? So, um, <laughs> Me too. Look, <laughs> the, the time I think of the, the people is coming. We've said this a million ways from Sunday, but, you know, that reverberation away from um, shutting down the LME to bail out the, the aristocracy. Right. Like that's I, I think going to um, be old hat in the next 10 years. So um, but what that means is the empowering of the individual is what I'm trying to say. Right. So. Um, you'll be in a better position to manage your own money because there'll be more transparency and accountability. And, um, you know, hopefully at some point it's, there's going to be a framework where you're not run down the cattle chute to a financial advisor to give them a percentage of your assets to not make you as much money as they should be. Absolutely agree with all of that. I was smiling halfway through because you took my next question <laughs> and comment right out from under me. It was going to be about how you pulled your money from the group that was managing it at just the right time before you lost your ass on some of that and then managed to reallocate a portion of it profitably. Look, to be absolutely clear, for those of you maybe that aren't familiar with Nick and I, maybe stumbled onto this podcast and are listening saying, wow, you know, these guys really are, are, are great financial advisors. Look how well they're doing. We are not giving financial advice, nor are we financial advisors. We are talking to you about opportunities that we see and things that we are doing with our own capital and providing ideas that we believe have the potential to make us money. So just to be absolutely clear, we're not looking to take a fee to manage your money. Quite the contrary, um, have enough going on, right? Between the multiple companies and the real estate and the family and the other things that we're building out. Um, 
But man, there is nothing like enabling the enablers, as I like to call it. You mentioned, you know, the people that do great work for society, right? The doctors, the nurses, the good police officers, the fire department, the fire uh, fighters, the, um, you know, our military. The, if somehow we can help provide an idea or two that helps provide some financial literacy or some financial independence, then yeah, that feels awesome. And that's something that I think both you and I have a passion for. Um, and it's great to have a platform to be able to kind of share our thoughts, our therapy session, right? About, about the world and how it's changing and how we're hopefully, you know, helping some people profit from those changes because it is not going to slow down this volatility and this turning that's happening. It's going to intensify and you're either going to come out of that very well off, better off, or you are going to lose your ass. And, and not just negative money. I'm talking about missed opportunity money, right? Because the cost value of time is something that, you know, as I get a little bit older and a little tiny bit more mature, I'm, 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 I'm appreciating time a whole lot more sure. than I used to in the past, right? I know some of that comes with a better financial profile and I have the luxury to be able to do that now, um, where in the past that wasn't always the case. But um, yeah, it's important that we help enable the enablers and the people that do great work out there. And at the very least, all we can do is provide some research, provide some insights and answer some questions. If you ever have them right in, happy to jump on a call, happy to answer an email anytime. Time, money, and health, you can have two. That's it, that's it. Let's get right into um, uranium, lithium, energy, and mega trends that are only intensifying. And you know, we're talking profit opportunities on this episode. I was gonna joke that my IRA is Patriot Battery Metals. <laughs> Y'all shouldn't do no, that. Don't do that. <laughs> and and it's not, but I not. <laughs> you know I'm wired higher higher risk, higher reward than most people. It is a significant holding for me. And if it plays out the way I think it's gonna play out, it'll end up probably surpassing um the the retirement uh, assets that I have in, in, in place. But jokes aside, let's talk lithium and uranium, Nick. I know you wanted to talk about, you know, the so-called experts and how they write articles and they write stories and editorials about how, you know, this lithium mega trend really is one that's going to start waning here soon. And that, you know, this is a trend that isn't sustainable. And all we're going to have to do is just recycle a little bit. And then ta-da, everything's going to be all right. You, you care to, you know, expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I do want to talk about uh, lithium for a second as uh, one who's had a close eye on the space for about half a decade or so. And I'm going to go through it for a second. So, um, lithium X, 15 cents to, to $2 and 60 cents bought by the Chinese, uh, millennial lithium at 60 cents so it erupted into a bidding war, um, finally taken out uh, this year for over $4, uh, a share advantage lithium, which you were also in, ended up getting bought by Oracobre and I held my Oracobre shares and they've done absolutely, um, fantastic. And then I funded critical elements at 30 cents and watched that run to nearly $2. So a bit of track record in, in lithium companies there and understanding the lithium space and, and why it's important and have been doing this uh, for a little bit, right? Wrote a book about investing in renewable energy in 2008, wrote a book about uh, energy investing in 2012. So uh, have the knowledge base there to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. Uh, uh, wrote about Tesla in that book, for example, bought BYD in 2008 uh, when Buffett was. So 
and over the years, I've seen all these different things, and you've heard me talk about some of these asinine miracle puppy rainbow technologies, right? Like the solar roads and, and wave energy and, and all the things that I cite as tropes about shit that's never going to work, right? Like that's taking your eye off the ball. Those aren't like real uh, move the needle solutions. What is real move the needle solutions is uh, baseload power that doesn't spew carbon into the air. Uh, perhaps carbon and capture and storage, which I think we're going to make significant technological advancements on where we can just suck the shit out of the air. That seems like the most logical conclusion. Call me crazy. Um, and then uh, switching our fleet of transportation away from internal combustion engines to uh, centralized combustion or non-combustion engines if they're nuclear power plants or solar or wind. And this transition has been underway for a long time. Tesla's uh, been selling cars for 10 years. Um, they have a trillion dollar market cap. All the major automakers are now on board from um, Ford, which has over uh, 100,000 reservations for its Lightning, to uh, GM, which has an electric Hummer and just unveiled the electric Silverado, to uh, the Volkswagens and uh, the Porsches of the world. Um, the Volkswagen's a good buy, by the way. Uh, they've all committed to going electric, and it pays like a 6% yield. Um, Volvo, I'm talking about. Um, and they've all committed to the technologies they're going to use, right? So whether it's uh, Nikola uh, or Tesla or Ford or GM or Volkswagen or Volvo or Fiat or whatever the fuck it is, um, they're using lithium batteries, and they've decided on that, and they're building out the supply chains to do that. Uh First of all, the supply for the batteries, the gigafactories, right? You've got gigafactory being built in Texas. They're already built, right? Um, and announcements for other ones in Europe and other places and under construction. Look, this is the inertia is is already there. Like the companies have decided on the lithium ion battery and, and that's what we're using. We can tinker with the chemistry of that, try to reduce the amount of nickel or cobalt or manganese or whatever it is that's in that battery. But we're not going to some black box technology that's going to emerge this year, next year, the year after that, because too much capital has been sunk into building out the supply chains for the lithium. Um, and now we're going down the supply chain, right? We, we build up these, these gigafactories, right? And we've decided that we're going to electrify our fleets and our, and our cars, and it's going to be with a lithium ion battery. Now we're to like, where's the lithium supply going to come from phase of it? And that's what, sort of what I just mentioned. We've seen some of these companies get taken out, right? <laughs> Um, so that's the first part. I love that they asked that question at the end of the decision. Like everybody got together, decided that's the battery we're going we're gonna to invest in. Invested mm. billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure and then said, Oh shit. So where are we getting the, the, the lithium from, guys? Um, oh, I thought you had the lithium. I thought you had the, you don't fucking have the lithium either. Oh shit. Yep. <laughs> Write the, the checks. <laughs> there you go. You got to call the guy. And, no, that's sort of what you and I saw years ago, right? Like. Um, yeah, I mean, that just was my natural thought process, right? When I saw all this stuff, like, oh, we're going to build solar panels and batteries and wind turbines. And I thought to myself, that's great. Where the fuck are you going to get the steel and the rare earths? And like, oh, that's all that shit's going to come out of the ground, right? And uh, that's what I meant last week when I said we found with a flashlight, but now everyone sees with a, with a spotlight, right? It's, it was clear as day. <laughs> 10,000% ago. <laughs> um, and so now we're here and there's, uh, so that was the first part. It's lithium, right? It's not vanadium. It's not 
whatever it is, some other black box technology. And then the second part was, you know, I see these uh, articles about how we, how we don't have to mine, right? We're going to be able to uh, invest in, in lithium recycling. And that is great. Um, we should recycle all the things that we can, all the paper, cardboard, batteries, and everything else that we can recycle. You know, I was in elementary school in the 90s. I was The R's were drilled into my head. Reduce, reuse, recycle, triangle, the numbers, all the things, right? Uh, we should do all that with politicians, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> reduce, reuse, oh, recycle. No, just, reduce re- no, just reduce, actually. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? So we're not going to recycle the amount of uh, lithium that we need, right? Um, no. It's not even close to, to making a, a, a dent in it. You, you know, first of all, the batteries have a long life cycle, right? And so the batteries that are going in cars now are going to last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is. Well, where are you getting the batteries to uh, recycle the lithium? And, and how are you going to create more lithium from a recycling process? Um it doesn't make any sense. And so to offer investment advice, espousing this as, you know, taking over the lithium sector is um, deceitful at best and, and fraudulent at worst. And so um, it's lithium and we're going to have to mine it was the point of that tirade there. Um, and we got lithium companies. Like I had lithium companies before. I mean, it's, we got new ones now. And uranium companies. And new ones now. And by the way, speaking of, you know, making money, we told you last week about Labrador uranium when it was at 85 cents. And I said, hey, we wrote a check at much lower prices and we wrote another check together, Nick, at higher prices. And even at 85 cents last week, we were saying, still pretty damn good speculation. I can see a market cap today. This was last week that justifies a $165, $172 share price. Hey, a couple of days later, one of the better known research firms comes out with a report and says, fuck, us too. Target price, 165. I think, yeah, I think you're going to see $2 sooner rather than later. Closed up uh, some eight or 9% here in the last couple of days at $1.05, $1.06, $1.07. That one is likely headed higher, folks. That's your free stock pick for the podcast. Getting your money's worth again on this one. Um, Yeah, look. Lithium, uranium, these are trends that are so clear with supply demand fundamentals that are so favorable that if you just spend a tiny amount of time learning about share structures and how to vet management teams and assets, or you know someone that can do that for you, you can do very, very, very well in these types of bull markets. What we're going to see in the uranium space We're just getting going. You could have bought UEC for 50 cents just two years ago. It's a $4.50 company that in a year or two years, probably going to be a $15 company. As crazy as that sounds to people I saw Mr. Scott Melby standing next to Liz Cheney in a tweet today. Come on, you can't make this stuff up, right? And so there's so many different exciting ways to make some money in the space, in multiple spaces. Just pay a little attention whether the Fed hikes seven times as it said it is going to um, is non-consequential for these sectors and these trends. It doesn't matter. You shouldn't stay up late at night wondering what's going to happen if the Fed hikes nine times or what's going to happen if the Fed only hikes four times or three times or two times like I think might happen. But we'll, we'll see. 
the end of the day, it really won't matter if you're allocating capital appropriately and you do so in a way that's in line with your risk tolerance, your timeline, and 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 just the way that the, the expected returns from that capital, right? And so, you know, we started by talking about the Fed and the hike. And at the end of the day, even if they hike seven times and they get it to just under two and a half, you're still negative real rates because of the inflation rate being so high and being so crazy. And until they get that under control, those hikes aren't consequential. It's what the gold market sniffed out. Like, oh, that's your worst case scenario? Two and a half percent, 2.47 or whatever the number was? Oh, okay, we're gonna stay negative then. I, if I'm gold, I go higher, which is exactly what happened. Gold went higher. So for, for those of you confused about why gold moved up, it's because the, 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 the strategy, the worst case scenario, the floor has been laid out by Mr. Powell and his friends. And if that's the worst case scenario, that is a very, very favorable gold scenario. And again, the equities have lagged for the last year and a half. They're starting to percolate. I joked about my spidey sense of tingling with you yesterday about another company. Um, that is not an investment strategy, but you better get that list and you better check it twice and, and you better get out there and add some gold exposure to your portfolio because I sense that 2022, 2023, and 2024 are going to be banner years for the gold. Multiple stars. ways to do it too, which is important. And I meant to add this to to something I was just saying and I didn't, yep. right? So hey, you mentioned your retirement plan, right? And, and that's <laughs> that's fine. So uh, there's multiple ways to skin a cat, which comes up on this podcast a lot, right? So uh, this week I recorded a video report. It was just about my retirement portfolio and it was about the percent allocations um, to uh, asset classes or sector classes of the market, right? And it was like 30% cash, 22% bonds, 15% um, large dividend paying companies, 5% international equities, 2% gold. And what I was saying is that um, that's like the retirement portfolio, right? Like that 2% gold is just GLD, which I've said on this podcast and which I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, but that doesn't mean that the safe's not loaded down with physical gold. Like that's separate from the percentage in my IRA, right? Like that gold in the safe is for you know, if you know we go Ukraine or, or something like that, like this like end of day stuff, I don't anticipate ever taking that gold out of the safe except to give it to my kids, right? I mean, hopefully it stays there forever. Uh, but the allocations. And for those of you that get bright ideas, there's bullets next to that. Oh, gold, and next to my bed, so I can get them faster. <laughs> That's your disclaimer if you get brave. <laughs> As you were, um, Mr. Hodge. And so it wasn't an invitation. The allocations in the, in the portfolio can, 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 change and you can reflect those in different ways is what I wanted to say. So um, where I might buy GDX and, and, and GLD and foundational profits, I'm modeling that as a as a long term retirement macro allocation strategy. Right. But that doesn't mean that in junior resource trader or in Hodge family office that we don't own uh, gold companies with market caps less than 50 million dollars. Right. And so uh, that's a very different thing. It's still exposure to gold. But I guess I'm saying uh, one, there's something for everyone. If you know you're risk averse and you don't want to be in tiny gold penny stocks, you don't have to be. You can yep. be in Newmont and Barrick and Franco and GLD, right? Um, and then uh, once you're established and you've got the portfolios and allocations down, then you can take uh, the shots or you can take them right up front. I mean, I'm not one to tell you what to do with your money, but it, what I'm saying is we offer various uh, approaches and um, you should be evaluating various approaches to see uh, what's right for you, what's comfortable for you, and 
um, I guess what's best for your for your situation. And when you say we're not financial advisors, that's what's tough for at least me, right? Because if I'm, you know, writing something out to a couple of thousand people, you know, I don't know what all their bottom lines are and asset allocation strategies and risk tolerance. I'm writing about um, what I've been doing with my money. And so I try to frame that uh, as such every time I do. Um, and that's good for, for, for consumers, for clients, right? Because there's uh, different strategies that we offer that they can browse and, and put to use. Well said, sir. I think Donald Trump Jr. might watch Bizarro World. Oh, is because uh, he wants to nominate his dad, like you said? <laughs> he said it three days after I said it. I mean, come on, I can't make this up. <laughs> yeah, you know when we record, everybody, the, the, the episode's timestamp. Go listen to last week's episode. I said, you know, <laughs> jokingly, half-jokingly, maybe we should bring Donald Trump back and make him an ambassador and send him over to negotiate because then they'll know that we're not fucking around. Three days later, Donald Trump Jr. says, you, you should send my dad over there to Brussels to negotiate peace. He could get it done. So, Donnie, if you're listening, I think you're a smart little fuck, but hi. <laughs> you know, words have, words have uh, uh, words powerful, powers, right? Agreed. Right. And, and so, you know, we gave old Donnie Jr. a go fuck off. So I have to ask you, right? Because we, again, we like to give it to both sides here. How is Hunter Biden like vaccine efficacy rates? So um, a couple of things in the past couple of weeks, and, and we've talked about them tangentially, but I wanted to um, hit them with a hammer real quick. Um, COVID is gone, except it's not. So uh, <laughs> Shenzhen, Shenzhen's lockdown, right? Um, I think China reported the highest daily case rates since this whole thing began. I'm pretty sure South Korea reported highest daily deaths yesterday since... Um, COVID began. I'm not sure if it's a new strain or not. I haven't got that far. Um, but but COVID's out of the out of the headlines. And let me start backwards with the with the vaccines because you've got the these new efficacy rates coming out, especially for kids, which I'm poignantly interested in. Saying that, um, you know, for five to eleven year olds, this Pfizer vaccine was only like less than a third uh, effective at preventing infection. Twelve percent. Crazy, right? And so. Uh, that wasn't something that was blared from the, the media, I don't think. Uh, it was something that left the headlines um, pretty quick. And it's 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 something that, and this is the point about Hunter Biden, it's something that you weren't allowed to talk about. Mm. Uh, it's something that you were getting banned from social media for. We had a whole Spotify thing with Joe Rogan. Um, we had uh, YouTube banners and Twitter banners. This is COVID information, you know, read carefully or whatever. Uh, we had deplatforming, we had canceling, we had all that stuff. And then the actual data comes out. Um, oh, and that vaccine was only 12% effective for kids, right? Um, whoops. And so, uh, you, but you weren't allowed to talk about that in real time. You weren't allowed to question it in real time. And it's similar to Hunter Biden because. Uh, and I don't know all the details of this case because, quite frankly, I don't give a fuck. But um, what I do know is that you weren't allowed to talk about Hunter Biden during the election. Like the New York Post ran a story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Do you remember the pictures with him and the whores and with the drugs and stuff? You saw some of those pictures. <laughs> I know you did. Uh, they existed, right? We all knew they existed. Like we could fucking see the pictures. Um, but you weren't allowed to write a story about it. You'd get deplatformed. Twitter literally banned the New York Post article. Um, but here we are. Over a year into the into the term, um, New York Times today puts out an article about uh, the Hunter Biden, the, the laptop and, and how it's real and what was on it and things like that. And um, I think that's just Oopsie. what people are, are, are pissed off about. Right. 
not that I'm a doctor or a, uh, an expert on Ukraine policy and, and contractors there, but when I see a picture of someone naked in a hotel room, I know what it is, right? Like, I know what the fuck that is. And so uh, the same as, you know, when you see people wearing masks and getting vaccinated who are contracting the virus, right? It's like, wait, you're vaccinated and you got sick. That's not how that's supposed to work. And so you need to be allowed to say that. And the muzzling needs to stop. Um, frankly, on both sides, right? I picked those two mm-hmm. examples because they came from the left, but you know, easily on the right as well. And so um, it's fascinating to me that it's and it's 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 take it back to when Trump was in office, right? Like, I forget what the expose was that was about to get published on him. And like the day it was about to get published, he just like tweeted out like, yeah, I did that or whatever. And the journalist was like, I can't believe he just tweeted it out. Right. And it's like, yeah, the shit's just like out there in the open. But it's about like who you're not allowed to talk about. Right. And the the, the things that are taboo to say. And um oftentimes the things that are most important are the things that you can't talk about or put another way uh the saying is if you want to know who your masters truly are it's who you're not allowed to offend or who you're not allowed to talk about and um you think about russian propaganda and 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 rt uh, and the things putin has been saying uh, about mm-hmm. Ukraine. And I just wonder how that's any different from you telling me that the vaccine is effective or that the Hunter Biden laptop doesn't exist. We have to get back to a place where we can challenge ideas, regardless of who they come from, and judge that challenge on the merit of the challenge and the merit of the idea. AOC had a brilliant explanation on Twitter this week about why implementing, and again, I'm no, I'm no policy expert, right? But the way it was presented was brilliant about why enacting a no-fly zone puts the U.S. in the middle of, and escalates, you know, and an already, you know, tough situation, puts the U.S. at the forefront of what could be a world war, right? The third world war and how dangerous a precedent that was. I thought that was a, a well-articulated point. The same AOC a few days before that came out and said some shit that I consider dumb as all fucking hell. Um, she wanted a, a you know tax along with Senator Warren, both minds who I have great respect for in certain aspects of their commitment to people and and and, and advancing ideas. And you know AOC comes out and says that she wants to help move forward and advance a windfall profits tax on oil companies. Now I am a capitalist slash libertarian at heart. When, when I talk about capitalism, yeah, I don't believe oil companies making billions should get corporate subsidies, government subsidies um, from me, the taxpayer. Take that away. I am all for that. Compete, win or die, right? That's, that, that, that's it. That's the way it goes. That's capitalism. That's how it used to be. But I sure in the heck am not for waiting until a business is profitable has supply demand fundamentals for whatever reason that are now favorable and then saying, we're going to change the tax rate. And because you're making so much money, now we're going to go ahead and take a chunk of that. That is government overreach. And I am completely against that. So again, we can have a conversation where we say AOC is brilliant on this issue. And then we can have another one and say, but man, I think she's got it wrong on this one. And not turn it into a political discourse about why that's a lefty point or a point from the right or who cares? 
who cares? Let's talk about the idea. Let's talk about the merit of it. Um, and we should all do better at that, I think. I think we'd be a, a, a more civil world if we were able to do that uh, subjectively, right? Objectively and subjectively. Objectively. Um, yeah. And subjectively. Like you can have your own opinion about an objective, like, you know, take. And be honest about that. I have a bias towards AOC because she's young and I think she's brilliant. And I think she missteps sometimes. But I, I think with time, I think she'll be one of those people that really influences good change in this country through through the rule of law. But then she has some moments where like, I'm just like, no, you're, you're completely wrong on this. And so you can believe both things, right? That's, um, it. That's my rant. The time for discourse is uh, coming. So I, I was thinking about this recently, right? Because um, we're in a fourth turning and uh, Neil Howe actually gave like an hour talk this week on, on Hedgeye that was pretty good. And he took questions from the audience and he was talking about the turning in the context of Ukraine and um, in the context of the, the book, basically. And he was saying that um, it's taking longer for a couple of reasons that made absolute sense. It's taking longer for millennials to mature. Um, they were sheltered longer. I mean, I'm the oldest, I'm almost 40 and I still have an entirely come of age, I would tell you. So, and there's 60 million or 70, 75, 80 million behind me who are still coming of age. So it's taking that generational that cohort is what it would be called longer to reach the point of maturity, to challenge the entrenched um, generations. And then the entrenched generations are truly entrenched and they're living longer as well. And so um, it should be the millennials replacing the boomers in positions of leadership. But in some cases, you still have silent generation in office, like octogenarians in office, <laughs> and um, they're living longer. And so, um, one, term limits. Two, they're going to pass away in the next 10 years and they'll have to be replaced. And so, I started thinking about the dearth of leadership, right? I mean, like, who's the young politicians that are going to replace them? Like, can you think of anybody? Like, you mentioned AOC, and I think she's smart as well um, in some things, like you said. Yeah. And other things, it's, you know, complete batshit crazy. So <laughs> um, who are they is what I'm wondering. Like, who are the, the, the 30 to 40-year-old politicians who are going to, um, you know, rise up? I haven't seen... Uh, frankly, any inspirational leadership on, on, on either side of the aisle, the Democrats or, or the Republicans. And so I, I'm not sure what I'm talking about, really, what the point of this is, except to say um, he was saying that Biden is not going to run next time. Circles in D.C. are saying that basically he's not going to run. I don't know if that's true or not. But he's almost he saying that That's the word on the street. And then his question was, Nobody fucking likes Kamala. So who's like, who's the leader on that side? Right. And, and similarly, who's the leader on uh, the other side if Trump is in his 70s? And so um, I saw this ad. This is where I was going with this from uh, the Senate race in Arizona. What's the guy's name? Let me get it right. Blake. Where the fuck is it? Blake Masters. He's running against Mark Kelly in uh, for Senate in Arizona. And so I watched his, and he's a younger guy, um, but he comes from the Peter Thiel camp. Like he's from Peter Thiel's circle, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I watched his his video, um, you know, his elevator pitch, basically. And it made a lot of, of sense, right? I can see how it resonates with a lot of people about how, 
uh, some of the stuff I just said, you're not allowed to talk about things. You're not allowed to challenge. Um, the internet was supposed to enable freedom and they, they're using it to limit freedoms. Uh, obviously, inflation and, and wages he was talking about, how you can't raise a family on sometimes even two salaries. Um, he made a lot of sense, right? And then, um, well, you should go watch it. But then he throws in the wall, right? He's like, we've got we've to complete the wall. And then, and then like something that wasn't related to the wall. And I was like, well, like, well, you lost me because when I, when you bring up the wall, I need to hear we're going to fix immigration, immigration the in, the same, in, in the same sentence, right? Or else like the wall doesn't make a lot of sense. And so we'll see how he he addresses that. But I can see this guy posing a real challenge to to Mark Kelly in, in Arizona. And, and I'm not real familiar with him and I don't know his politics, but it was the best pitch I've seen from a young politician, I guess. I'll put it that way. Wall, wall stuff aside, right? So I'm interested to see who it is and... Um, I'm also interested to see how much money you got to make to to run for office, right? So and then I was thinking uh, about our situation. Like, there's people who probably do have good ideas, right? But like, I'm not leaving my salary to go run for fucking office to put my name in the spotlight like that. Not that I would be a good politician, but there's got to be a ton of people like that who have good ideas, but also have good jobs and, and aren't going to leave that for... Um, the reasons you've seen with politicians over the past 10 years, right? So uh, I guess just one open-ended question for me is like how that dearth of leadership is is going to be filled on the, the U.S. politician front. Yeah, we definitely need new people to step up. We need more experienced people. And I'm not talking about age. Clearly, we have, you know, the oldest of the old. It hasn't translated into experience. I'm talking real world experience. I can tell you the last election cycle. That's it. I was very excited about the potential for Mark Cuban to run for president. And I think Mark Cuban, being the fun human being that I imagined him to be, said, I need to clean some shit up for the next four years before I throw my hat in there officially. Because I sensed that he was about to do so last time. And I think I think he likely had an honest conversation with his wife and those around him. And, and, and I think they probably nudged them and said, well... A little too close to those fun times over here. We let Skeletons, it exactly. Yeah. Let's let a little bit of that cycle pass, and then we'll talk about it. So, you know, he's someone that I get excited about without knowing all of his positions yet, because I see how successful he's been in the business world and how practical he appears to be to me. Right? He's been successful in multiple types of businesses, from being the owner of a basketball team you know, to restaurants, to real estate, to you name it. He's got his hands in so many different things and he's able to navigate that world successfully, which again, I look at the politicians in power now. I look at a Pelosi, I look at a McConnell, I look at these people. I wouldn't trust these people to go get my Starbucks order and bring it back to me today, let alone run the country. Howard Schultz back running Starbucks, by the way. Um, do you know what he came from? Did he make himself? Mark Cuban? Yes, he, he, he sold a early 2000s before the internet bust. Um, he sold the company for billions of dollars. But his dad didn't give him millions of dollars to start that. My right? understanding is no. Like it wasn't it's one self-made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important. Bartending, so that's important. Bartending, working on his code, working on the site, you know, getting that up, hiring, all of that. You know, good story there. That's the important part. So when you talk about practicality, right, that's how you um, get a breadth of decision-making, you get adversity sent your way and you got to learn how to deal with that. When you get these silver spoon people, these people who come from 
money um, who have been in the aristocracy their whole life. They don't, one, they don't see it from uh, the majority perspective. And two, they haven't been um, dealt the adversity and they haven't had to be uh, creative in ways that uh, benefited them, you know, coming up with businesses, mm-hmm. coming up with ideas, testing and failing, right? Um, and a leader has to have those qualities, right? Has to have had adversity, at least for me, you know, has to have had the blue collar job, things like that to, to, to draw on those experiences to make uh, common sense decisions, which I think we see lacking with the the leader class that we currently have. It's a completely different class of people, right? Like I don't relate to them at all. At all, at all. Again, you you mentioned the gentleman and you know him being practical and sounding practical, and then bringing up something that's just symbolic: the wall. The wall is a dog whistle to people that don't want immigrants in the country. Right. It's not. No, he showed the the farmer with the belt buckle, like while the clip. Of course, the wall, like right after he said that. Uh, right? like, of course, it's total. Yeah. and it's like again, <laughs> I want a solution to a practical immigration process as much as anyone else, because it directly affects people that I love and care about. I have family members that have been waiting 11 to 12 years to see their mom again because they can't get this thing done because there's no process that's anywhere near practical. You throw in inflation and wealth inequality and everything else that's going on. You know, the lawlessness in places like Mexico, Central America, you know, in Mexico, in Mexico, we're dealing with immigration from Central America because of how bad things are there. And then they get to Mexico and they start figuring out it's almost as bad here. So what what are people supposed to do, everyone? Are, are, if you have a child or if you don't have a child, it's just you. Are you just supposed to accept that there's this magical border there and that you know there's a better opportunity there? Are you just supposed to accept that it's just against the law? So let me sit here and wither and die? As a human being, that's offensive to me, right? And so as as as, as a property owner, as a business owner, as a father and husband, I want good practical immigration policy. Neither the right or the left provide that. And so when I see the Biden, you know, administration campaigning on a sensible immigration plan and and pleading to Hispanics and, and, you know, and Barack Obama did the same thing, it upsets me just as much as when I see people do the dog whistle thing by talking about a wall. What's a wall do? (laughs) <laughs> Not a thing. So what? what is that? That's just a dog whistle. It's a symbolic dog whistle. Talk to me about what your policy will be to prevent the murdering, violent, you know, uh, traffickers, all of that. We don't want, nobody wants that. People in Mexico don't want that. The Mexicans here don't want that, right? Nobody on any side wants that. Let's find, let's find a system that's practical so we get the best of the best. We have some skilled labor. We have some low cost labor. It helped us in 87 when the country here in the United States was in a recession and Reagan did the whole amnesty thing. That's how my parents got their citizenship and residency. It helped with real estate. It helped stabilize the economy. It helped provide some uh, competitive labor. Let's talk real solutions as opposed to just pointing, but not really actually offering anything up. Um, I think I think there's a better way to do politics. And I hope I hope that people like Mark Cuban uh, put some pressure on on you know some of the people that have been there for far too long. For far too non-career long. politicians, right? Non-career yeah. politicians. To answer your question, I I I googled it, of course. Um, he made his first billion, five point nine billion dollar paycheck after he sold his online streaming audio service to Yahoo in 1999. He made his first million in 1990 after selling a a a, a business to CompuServe. 
And so, yeah, no, yeah, the, the, the guy, you know, he, he used to uh, sell stamps and coins. He was writing newspapers from Cleveland to Pittsburgh, literally had a paper route at the age of 16, except he, he, he was doing entire, you know, regions of it. So life experience, it's important. It's important in politics. And I hope that the turning involves a lot more of that. And I hope that, you know, the young politicians that we haven't even heard of yet are able to be mentored by people like that. And again, I'm saying this as someone that, that, that doesn't know all of Mark Cuban's politics, there's going to be skeletons in the closet, people. No, they, if you're waiting for your perfect politician or your perfect human oh, or your perfect wife or your perfect husband. Doesn't exist. Good luck. You're going to be holding your breath until you turn blue. Yeah, it doesn't exist. Nick, it's been almost an hour. Um, I could go for another hour. There's a lot, a lot, a lot to get into. Um, AMC decided to buy a gold mine. Um, you know, um, Eric's- Mr. Sprott got Eric, involved. Yeah. Eric, Eric's involved, Eric Sprott's involved. Um, I wish them the best. I, I always wish success um, to everyone, right? Um, I don't know that this one's going to end so well, but it is going to be fun to watch. I thought I was being pranked. I thought it was an onion headline. Um, but again, Mr. Sprott's done well for himself and uh, he matched the check. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I'll leave that at that. He can make more bets than most. He can also afford to lose more than you and I. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah, that's it. Anything else you want to get off your chest this week, Nick? No, um, only that uh, Washington, D.C. tried to enact sports gambling and did. Um, <laughs> and they, had a, they, they had a monopoly on it. Um, they ran the app through which was the only app to gamble in Washington, D.C. Um, Easy money. They lost, million, they lost millions of dollars on the operation. They were the house and the casino and they lost. And so <laughs> and when you talk about when you talk about broken politics and how we can't get anything done, literally the government can't run a casino and make money. On either side. <laughs> no, there was no left or right there. It was just the government. Yeah. <laughs> I am Gerardo Del Real along with my therapy partner and co-host Mr. Nick Hodge. This was episode 162 of Bizarro World. Next week's episode may be a day or so late. Mr. Hodge and I have some travel to attend to. A little bit of a heads up in case we're a day or so behind. Be kind to each other. Be safe out there. Wish everyone an amazing, amazing week. Thanks for dealing with us, everyone. Say bye to the people, Nick. It was actually 161. See ya. Let's see. It's that crazy, guys.